It's the first week of December, and whether you are a traditionalist and you wait till thank I'm going to call that a traditionalist. You wait till Thanksgiving. How many of you are traditionalists? You wait till Thanksgiving to celebrate Christmas. How many of you are like the early, the early adopters? You're like, no, Halloween's done. Christmas is here. Check, 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 check. Okay, I, there was like one person who was like, maybe, like, didn't really want to admit it. Now, what's interesting to me is what you probably don't know is we've actually, even though this is our first week of like our Advent series called The King Has Come, we've actually been like talking about Christmas and getting ready for Christmas since September. And some of you may not realize it because you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, in September we were in the book of Ruth and then we were in the book of 1 Samuel. How in the world is that actually Christmas? But in all of those books, one of the things that it keeps pointing to is this coming king. It keeps coming to this king who was going to come and form this kingdom that would never end. And those stories lay the foundation for Christmas, which is the bir- about the birth of a king. Now, back in September, we looked at the story of Ruth, and if you remember, it was how God is always working behind the scenes. Always working behind the scenes to redeem and transform dead-end stories, right? Ruth goes from being this widow, this childless widow with no prospects, to the mother of a son named Obed, who becomes the father of, a son, of Jesse, who becomes the father of a young boy named David. And we find out in the book of 1 Samuel that David was actually chosen to be the next king of Israel after King Saul dies. And if you remember, Saul, who was the first king of Israel, he was like sort of this fallen king, right? He was like arrogant, but also insecure. He never really depended or trusted in God. David, after Saul sort of like wavered in his faithfulness to God, David was chosen to be the next king. And what David represented for all of us in this first part of the story was this man of humility, right? He agreed with God about who God said that he was. And he was a man of dependence. He agreed with God about who God said God was. And so he was willing to be obedient and faithful in all sorts of different situations. Now, Saul was incredibly envious of David, and he hunts him down and he tries to kill him. But David, even when he has an opportunity to overtake Saul, he doesn't. Saul dies in battle, and David assumes the throne. But what we discover, even when David takes the throne of the man who was trying to kill him, he grieves deeply. But then he steps up into his role, into his position. He says, I know what God has called me to do. He's called me to lead this kingdom. He's called me to lead the people of God, to be the people of God, to reflect the image of God. And so David immediately unites the kingdom of Israel, and he begins to protect the kingdom of Israel from all of the different invaders. He sets up Jerusalem as the political and spiritual capital of the kingdom. And for a while, David is this amazing king. And the whole kingdom flourishes under King David, and it's great. Like, if you were living in Israel during that time, you would be like, man, this is a good place to be. God even makes this promise to David. He says, listen, David, like, you are a man after my own heart. I am going to build a great dynasty. Like, I'm going to build a house for you. It's going to be this dynasty. And from your family, there will be a king that will reign forever. 
And it's through this king that the promise of Abraham would be fulfilled, that Israel would be a blessing to all of the nations. Now, this is a really, really big deal. Everyone is looking to David and his line to establish this kingdom of God here on earth. And here's the deal. Like, everyone is like, nothing could go wrong until it all goes wrong. Until it all goes wrong. David falters. He gets wrapped up in adultery. He gets wrapped up in murder. And even though David repents and God forgives him, there's sort of these consequences for him and his sons and for the rest of the kingdom. And like it often goes, brokenness gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. And the brokenness of David passes to his sons and daughters, and then slowly that brokenness bleeds into the rest of the kingdom. Now, for the most part, the kings and the kingdom doesn't walk in humility or dependence on God for most of the time after David in its existence. In fact, pretty much they do the exact opposite of everything God told them to do. They were to care for the widows and the orphan and the poor, and instead they choose to oppress them and take advantage of them. They were supposed to be hospitable to strangers, and instead they cast them out. They were supposed to only worship God, but instead they set up these altars and they trusted in other gods and things to protect them and provide for them. And their brokenness just kept shattering the nation. Now, it gets so bad that the entire nation eventually gets taken over, splits in two, and then is taken over by other nations, and then is left in ruins. The word picture that we're given in Scripture, actually, they give us this picture of a forest that's been cut down. Anybody ever see a forest around here that's just been cut down? Yep. A forest that's been cut down. But then also all of the stumps have been burned and charred. That there is just nothing left in this space. It's a forest of trees that had been cut down and burned and charred. Everything had been built, then had been decimated. All the people were scattered and everything sort of lay in ruins. And no one ever expected that to happen. I mean, after all, they were holding on to the promise that God gave David. Like, no, 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 we're supposed to be a kingdom that never ends. Like, why are we, why is, why are all the forests cut down and the trees charred? What about the promise? What about the king? What about the kingdom? Now, here's the deal. All of us have times where we find ourselves standing among the ruins of a situation and thinking, this is not at all how I expected things to go. This is not at all how I thought they would be. This is not at all what I thought that I was promised. Now, this past week, um, some of you you know um, Herb and Joanne Barnes. Um, They are um, a couple in our congregation who actually, they have been here for such a long time in our congregation. They were a part of the original Rockville congregation, um, and Herb was instrumental in choosing this site as the place where the Rockville congregation would move and then build a new church. He was instrumental in actually moving Lakewood Church of God and having it become Clarksburg Church and sort of having uh, a partnership with Fairfax Church and and the rebirth and all of that. So I, I was reminded this week that I really am here partly because of Herb Barnes. That's part of the reason why I'm here is because of her. 
And Herb, uh, his health has been declining this past year. Um, and in this past week, it's gotten really bad. Um, he came home from the hospital and um, was uh, put on hospice and, and had some incidents happen where his declining health kind of sped up in a sort of unexpected way for some of the people who love him the most. And I was visiting them this week, and one of the things that was so fascinating, you know, Joanne is sitting by his bed, his wife. She has not left his bedside for any long period of time. And she is just brokenhearted. And she looked at me at one point when I was visiting, and she just said, I just never thought this would happen to a man like Herb. He's just so loving. Why would this happen to him? And in that moment, as I was sitting there praying for Joanne and praying for Herb and, and listening and recounting stories of, of, uh, of his life, um, I just kept hearing that play. Like, I never thought that this would happen to him. And what I immediately was reminded of was ruin and rubble. <laughs> Here we are in a living room of some ordinary person's house, and we're standing in the middle of a forest with all the trees cut down and charred. And right now, Joanne, all she can see is the broken down forest and wondering, what happened? Now, perhaps for some of you, you are currently in the middle of a situation that maybe feels very similar. It feels like ruin and rubble. Or maybe you have been in that type of situation in the past. Perhaps you thought that this new job was supposed to ignite new opportunities, and instead it results in this dead end. Perhaps you had this vision that this marriage that was supposed to be on fire, but instead it's just kind of gone up in smoke. Or maybe there's just been this hanging depression that has left you with an inability to see the world clearly. And nothing is really as you expected it to be. Or maybe you had put your hopes in some sort of political figure and you were like, that's going to be the person who's going to help us get to the new kingdom or the new place or make X, Y, and Z happen. But it didn't happen quite how you expected it to. Now this afternoon after service, we're actually going to be gathering out on the front lawn because we kind of in some ways feel this way about Clarksburg. Uh, by no means is Clarksburg like a place of like ruin and rubble or anything like that. It hasn't been burned down or anything. But I am reminded that a long time ago there was sort of this master plan that was set up for Clarksburg to say that it would be this dream community where there would be lots of spaces for people to develop and meet together and collaborate together. But the demand for housing, uh, quick housing, kind of left the community with a lot of quickly built houses, but little infrastructure and few places to gather and build community. Now, in the middle of this time, when Israel was, be was decimated and lie in ruins, there was these prophets that would come out and they'd remind the people that the ruins weren't the end that there was still hope, that God had not forgotten his promises, that God was still faithful, even in the midst of brokenness. There was one prophet, Isaiah in particular, that gave us a number of prophecies that spoke to this coming king and the coming kingdom that would be established, even despite the rubble and ruin. 
Now, the reason we look back at these passages during Christmas is because they remind us what we hope for in this newborn baby king. And if you put yourself for a second in the shoes of the Israelites, they were standing in a place where all the trees had been chopped down and burned, wondering what they were supposed to do now. And these are the words of Isaiah that he speaks to them. He says this in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. If you want to open your Bibles, you're welcome to. You can pull out your apps and follow along, or it'll be here on the screen. Isaiah tells the people this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, think for a second. Remember, burn down forest, trees cut down. And what he says is there's going to be a shoot that comes up from one of those stumps, Jesse. Now, the thing that I visualize when I read this actually is something that happened to me this past year. Well, it's actually been happening to me several years over and over and over again. Every spring, in fact. Some of you guys know that I love to garden. And uh, the community garden that we have on that space right over there actually was my garden when I lived on property. Um, And one of the things that happened was one time when I was gardening, there was this little tree sapling that popped up. Um, It was a boxwood tree, and I didn't want it in the garden. So I cut it down, and everything was good uh, until next year. Apparently, the roots were still there, growing stronger and stronger and stronger. So the next year when spring came, not only did I have just this little sapling, I had this very quick, fast tree shoot that was coming up and came up quickly and came up fast. And I was like, I don't want you here. So I cut it down again. But you know what happened the next year? The roots had spread even further and strengthened the resolve of that tree even more. (laughs) And that tree, that little shoot popped up even faster, even stronger to the point that that the stump of the tree was like, this big, and no longer could I just hack it with my shovel. Then I knew I was going to have to dig up all the roots. But you know what? At that point, the roots were so big and so deep and so wide that this dumb little tree, I couldn't get it out. It's still over there laughing at me. And I know that if I just take a hacksaw to it, it's only going to come up even stronger later. And I'm just reminded that this is the resiliency of the kingdom of God, right? This is what God is talking about when he says, hey, my kingdom, you want to know what my kingdom is like? It's like a boxwood tree in your garden. You can cut it down again and again and again and only come back stronger. You can char it. You can burn it. You can do whatever you want. There's going to be a shoot that is coming out that no one would expect. Isaiah is trying to get us to understand that there is a king who is coming who cannot be stopped. That the shoot is going to spring forth stronger and more powerful than before. And nothing is ever going to stop it. It seems like it's going to come from something that is dead and gone and buried, but an entire kingdom will spring forth. Yeah, Isaiah is predicting the coming Messiah, but you know what he's also predicting? He's also speaking truth to every part of your dead-end life. He's saying because when the kingdom comes, and when the king comes, he brings new life to the dead spaces in our own lives. So those places in your own life that are burned down, chopped down, and charred, 
Isaiah's like, no, no, no. Nope. Just you wait. There's going to be a shoot that's going to spring forth. You have no idea the power and the fury of what is coming in this king and this kingdom. And then Isaiah continues in verse 2. He says this. He says, the spirit of the Lord. He's talking about that king, that shoot that will come from seemingly nowhere. That on the king, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Now, in English, we use the language judge, right? That last passage, it said, it said with righteousness, he will judge the needy. And in English, we read that and we think, oh, he's going to sentence the needy. <laughs> like he's going to condemn the needy. He's going to lock them up, make them pay a fee, punish them. And so in English, this version doesn't exactly capture what's going on here and what Isaiah was actually going after. But what Isaiah really means is that he's saying that this king is going to bring justice for the poor and the needy. Remember that part of the reason God allowed neighboring kingdoms to come and conquer Israel was because Israel had failed to take care of the poor and the vulnerable. Instead of caring for the most vulnerable, they took advantage of the weak and powerless and profited off them. And Isaiah is saying, look, when this new kingdom comes to these dead-end line of David, the new king is going to be able to see through the appearances of what is right and what is wrong. They're going to be able to see through to the heart of the matter. No longer is anyone going to be able to hide what's really going on beyond, behind a shiny veneer. The spirit of the Lord will make things right. And an uneven hand that has been dealt will be made right. Now at this point, the king sounds like he could just be like this very like unlikely but wise anointed civil ser servant. Like we're going to have a great elective official that everyone's going to just really love. That that's who the king is going to be. But it's in verse 6 that we begin to see, oh, this is talking about more than just like a great person with good power that's going to fix some things, right? In verse 6, this is really where we start to sink our teeth into who this king is going to be. Isaiah tells us that when this king reigns, the wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. What is a little child doing in there? The cow will feed with the bear, but not feed... On the cow. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hands into the viper's nest. This is crazy. Right? It's here we see that Isaiah isn't just trying to talk about making the world a better place. He's not just saying, like, hey, if we all just hold hands and sing kumbaya, then things will just be better. Isaiah's talking about something so much deeper and bigger than us just trying to get along. He's talking about lions laying down with lambs, children playing near venomous snakes. And you know why that image is so surprising? 
Woody Allen has this quote, and he says, lions can lay with lambs, but the lamb isn't getting any sleep. Why? Because every second is afraid it's going to get consumed, is going to die. This is why when we go to the zoo with our children, we're very glad that there are fences. Right? We know that if you're going to keep all of these types of animals together in one place, you better have some really big and strong walls to separate them. Everyone needs to be super well fed so that the, the instinct and urge to eat the other animals doesn't like cause them to overcome whatever sort of barriers you've put between them. If you don't have those fences, it's going to be disastrous consequences for the animals as well as for you and your little kids that you brought for an innocent experience, right? It's in the nature of the lion to eat the lamb. It's in the nature of the bear to destroy the cow. And Isaiah is describing a time that when this king comes, in the fullness of his kingdom, the very nature inside things will be changed. No longer is their nature or ours to consume or destroy, but to live in peace. That in this new kingdom, no longer is it a dog-eat-dog world. It's like a dog-treat-dog world. No longer is it a take-or-get-taken world. It's a give-and-be-given-to world. The very nature of all things is turned upside down. There's this peace. And harm is put to the side, disease is ended, death is overturned. And this is the picture of this coming kingdom. This is the picture of the hope that we sang about in the beginning. This is what we believe in. We, we believe in this. This is what we expect. This is what we wait for. This is what we hope for. Right now, we might be standing among ruin and rubble. But when we celebrate Christmas, what we're being reminded of is that a king has come to bring a kingdom of peace that busts through brokenness and failed expectations, that changes nature that is bent towards destruction into peace and restoration and blessing. Guys, this is huge. This is the king that would fulfill the promise of Abraham's descendants, that they would be a blessing to all other nations. This is a big thing. It's, it's a big thing because it's saying that this new king would be a king that brought blessing to other nations, nations outside of themselves. And I honestly didn't realize how big a deal that was until um, a couple weeks ago. I, I want to tell you the story, and it, it's a... So a couple weeks ago, we had originally named what we're doing, this Clarksburg Yard groundbreaking, we had originally named it a ground blessing. How many of you remember me calling it a ground blessing? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, it was a ground blessing, okay? So originally it was a ground blessing. Now one of the things that we wanted to do at the ground blessing was we wanted to get feedback from middle school and high school students about what they thought of this whole thing. And we were going to do that at this ground blessing. And so we went to the Montgomery County Volunteer website. And we said, uh, is it okay for us to do SSL hours, give students service learning hours to middle school and high school students who participate in this thing and give feedback? And we were told yes. So I said, great. So I filled out a little application thing and you write up the description of what it is we're going to be doing. And I put on the thing, it's Clarksburg Yard Ground Blessing. And then you have to submit it for approval from the SSL hour committee. They turned around and said, nope, you can't do that. 
And I said, well, what do you mean? You, we already went through this whole thing. You told me that I could. Like, you know what was going to be happening there. And they said, yes, but you called it a ground blessing. And the word blessing is uniquely religious. It's, and I was like, what? No. Like, we sneeze and say, God bless you. A uniquely religious. And they said, you can't, you can do all of the things, but you have to change the name if you want, um, if you want this type of participation. Yeah, everything can stay the same, but the word blessing had too many faith and religious overtones. Guys, do you realize how countercultural blessing other people actually is? To live a life and a kingdom of blessing? I think we miss that when God promised Abraham that his descendants would form a kingdom that blesses other nations, we overlook how countercultural that is. That's not what other nations do to each other. Other nations plunder each other. Other nations conquer each other. Other nations pillage each other. They don't bless each other. And yet, that is what this kingdom, under the rule of this king, would do. That this kingdom that we are a part of, this king that we celebrate in Jesus, this king that was born 2,000 years ago in this messy, unkept rubble of a manger that inaugurated this new kingdom, that's what he came here for. And no, it is not here in all of its fullness. It won't come until Jesus returns. And at that time, death will fully be vanquished, that there will be no more disease, no more sickness, that the lion really will lay with the lamb. But right now, what we get to be a part of is participating in the kingdom here on earth in the now. That Jesus came to change the very nature of the whole world, the way that we live and what we do. And that is true for so many different areas of your life. And today, at this ground blessing, we get to celebrate God doing that in this place in Clarksburg. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but I believe that's part of what God is doing through the Clarksburg Yard. We don't believe that the yard is like some sort of supernatural fulfillment of God's kingdom, but we do imagine it to be an imperfect foretaste of what is to come with the kingdom of God. That it's to be a small place of peace in the midst of all the other spaces. Where we get to be reminded that the kingdom is coming, that there are places where peace happens. There are places where blessings are passed to other people who are different from us. That those who were once hostile to each other can now be at peace with one another without fear or anxiety. To have hope that when everything seems to be cut down to the root, that the roots are still strong and that God will rebuild again. That the baby that was born 2,000 years ago came to bring justice, to set things right for the vulnerable and the stranger. So that strangers can become friends and those who are bent on destroying each other will rest and play together. And so that's why I'm so excited about this Christmas in particular. I can't help but think about Herb's declining health and the groundbreaking happening on the same day. I can't help but think that God is doing something in all of this stuff. What I want to do this morning as a part of our service here together, right, this 
Here we get to call it a ground blessing out there. We'll call it a groundbreaking. Out there, we're going to invite people who have come to the groundbreaking to write on ribbons um, what they hope for in the future of that space. And I imagine it'll be things like to get a cup of coffee, to have a place to go. And those are all really good things to hope for. Those are important aspects of our everyday life. That's fine. But what I want to do in this space where we get to call it a ground blessing is I want to take some ribbons that are on the table and I want us to write what our hopes are because we're the people who know the fullness of the kingdom that has come in the king and is coming. And I want to invite you to write your hope for this place. To invite you to write your hopes for this being a place where the kingdom comes, where people are blessed, where it's a place of peace. And then during this next song, I'm going to invite you. Um, what we're going to do when we're out there is after we plant, we have a tree that we're going to plant as the first tree of the space. Um, people are going to tie their ribbons of hope on the tree of hope, and that'll be, you know, a symbolic thing. What we're going to do in this place is we're going to take our ribbons of hope and we're going to put them at the foot of the only tree that really does provide hope. We're going to put them at the cross. We're going to say, God, this is, this is, we know that us in and of us, what, 30 of us, 40 of us, like, we can't do much of anything. <laughs> There's no, we can't, we're not going to bring a kingdom. Who's going to bring a kingdom? God's going to bring a kingdom. What began with a baby 2,000 years ago, he grows into a man and he gives his whole self, his whole life, so that we can be citizens of this new kingdom. And we place our trust in him. And so we're going to pray together, and then during this next song, I'm going to invite you to just write your hope on that ribbon, and as we're singing, to, to place it at the cross. All right, will you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful for who you are. We are so grateful that when, when we see dead ends, you don't. You see opportunity. You see new life to spring forth. You see something coming that is stronger and better than ever before. And so, Father God, we look for you. We hope for you. We long for you. Would you give us a picture of what your kingdom looks like? Would we remember that de disease and death and dead ends are not your end? They are your beginning. And so we place our hope and our trust in you. Amen.